It's The Job Pod with your host, Elijah Drown. A career advice podcast for you. Search The Job Pod wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Thank you, Anne, for so much for joining podcast uh, in this mini-series. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Elijah. I appreciate being here. Absolutely. So you're all about, um, well, uh, many parts, but we'll get into a bit of a mini-series. There's equity consciousness, there's beauty behind diversity, and then talking about your nonprofit, which we'll get to. But today, about beauty behind diversity. So this all happened for you. It seems to be um, back from school that uh, this all started, that you realized that everybody deserves a voice. Can you tell me yeah. a bit about that? Absolutely. I, um, As a very young child, I had an experience. My best friend had a learning disability. And at that time, that meant that her teacher really didn't know. You know, our teacher really didn't know how to teach her. And it was more of a problem. And she was seen as um, more of a difficult child than a child who learned differently. And so um, we would sit under the slide. And I remember the slide. And I actually went back and visited um, the area and the same slide was there, which could probably be a safety issue nowadays, but it was there and it just brought back all the emotion of it too. So we would sit under that slide and memorize our reading lines because we did choral reading in those days. And if she could be successful um, during reading, then she wouldn't have to miss out on the longer recess, which was at lunchtime. And I just remember if she would make an error or if our teacher would add an additional um, section of a page for her, um, you know, we're just learning how to read to begin with, but just the cruelty of um, physical, like smacking her with a, um, with her hand on her shoulder when she would get something wrong or um, like grabbing her by the shoulders and, and acting like she was purposefully making these errors. So it really touched me because it touched me in a way I didn't understand at that point that she had a different way of learning. And, um, but what I did know was that nobody deserves to feel that way or to have someone um, make you feel like you're less than just because you take a different approach to life. So um, that that really, really set my course. I um, wanted to avoid going into education. That just really stuck with me. Other experiences happened and um, I found myself advocating for learners. Does that cause you to have a focus on your nonprofit for invisible uh, abilities versus physical, or is that just maybe something that, uh, kind of led you to that path? Um, well, that's, that's one element that led me there. Fast forward to myself as an adult, and I had an experience with, um, multiple very serious traumatic surgeries and ended up with a cognitive processing disorder myself. And um, knowing what you were able to do prior and knowing that there's um, things going on in my brain differently now that allow me to not function in the same way that I necessarily did, um, the 
the two kind of anchor that focus on the invisible, even though I um, don't want to negate the importance of visible disabilities. I, um, I don't personally have that experience. I have had exposures and I have friends who have had those experiences. And to me, when I think about um, inclusion, I think about it in a lot of facets, facets and um, visible and invisible disabilities are, are present. It's been a while since I've been in school. So I know you've just come out of school. You're pretty young. I'm a little older, of course. Uh, and it's been a while. ADHD wasn't a thing. Um, it, this mental health, even um, looking at people differently and gender uh, identities weren't even a thing, you know, even 20 years ago, regardless of where you were in the world. Um, do you think that it's a, there's still a lot of room to grow for diversity? Oh, absolutely. Um, I what what I think is that it's not necessarily so that it wasn't present. Mm. I think that it just wasn't spoken of and wasn't recognized. And I think with the growth of technology and social media and um, reality TV, you know, all these elements that are happening currently, I think that people are finding their voices and finding modes of communicating where they are and what they need. And I think that's really important for us. And do I think that will continue? Yes. And do I think that um, we have a lot of work to do if we think about it as not additional things presenting themselves, but people being more equipped to be able to communicate their needs and for people to then get the opportunity and the um, honor to respond in love. Do you think children's response to somebody being different is innocent or is it maybe even uh, like curiosity or is it, you know, taught uh, for racism from adults? Well, I think it can be both. Yeah. I think it definitely can be both. I think that um, curiosity is good and mm -hmm. um, learning how to have conversations um, are, is important so that we can be educated for things that we don't know. You know, I didn't grow up as a male in America, so I wouldn't presume to know what that's like, but I would love for you and other males that are in my life to educate me on that. Um, sure. So I think it's the same way for kids. But I do think that there is that um, nurture nature, right? And I do think that there's influence. And, and I've experienced that. I, I taught elementary school. I taught primary school was my favorite. Um, and I had students that came in that were taught that um, they wouldn't share a pencil with a student next to them because they were Caucasian and the student next to them was African-American. And um, the father was adamant that it was inappropriate for the son to share that pencil because of the color of the skin of the child next to him. So I, I do think that at a young age, we influence. And um, I think that it's important that there's um, opportunities for people to understand more by continuously be given tools to better experience the diversities around them so that we can approach it in a loving, caring way. Do you think a lot of people, uh, say layman's average person, has the tools to address something like that? If they see a father that's adamant, hey, you can't share a pencil with them because they're different, and you want to step in, you want to advocate for the kid 
who doesn't have that voice? I'm trying to understand how people can be less afraid of getting backlash or opposition for something that they're trying to do some good in, you know? Yeah, that's actually what equity consciousness assessment is about, as well as the equity edits that accompany yeah. that. Because I think that um, if, if we stand on our belief that we have no biases, um, I think that we're fooling ourselves. Everybody has biases because no one's experienced everything that everyone has experienced. Um, so I think the consciousness assessment really gives you and equips you in kind of starting to unravel some of that intentional or unintentional, which I call it, you know, conscious or unconsciously. And then those resources give you a safe environment mm -hmm. to um, interact with your thoughts and your experiences and really expand and grow so that you can be better equipped. Um, that is written for adults. Um, but I have, I had, do have some projects going this year that are going to be incorporating, um, the student perspectives. I was glad you're able to help out, get some resources going, even for kids it's important, right? So they can, um, be, be more objective. They can think, uh, critically instead of just believing what the adults are telling them. It's good. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you talk about bias, but there's a bit of media bias. I, I live in Canada and I hear a lot of noise about Florida and how uh, interesting um, the media makes Florida seem to be. Um, do you think that that weighs heavily on, you know, a diverse nonprofit? Um, does that skew people's views of, of you being in Florida with, a, you know, questionable leadership as, as according to the, the media? And how they like the clicks instead of the truth, or they they're not focused on what's important, right? And, and I wonder how that affects you and and your pursuit to to change. So it actually just it actually motivates me. Um, without getting too political, um, mm -hmm. anytime anyone tries, or in history has tried to neutralize any population, it. Um, is diminishing and marginalizing to that population. And so though I currently live in a state where um, diversity isn't embraced uh, in a, it, from the government standpoint, um, what I can say is there are many Floridians who have a different understanding and desire. And so it's important for me to continue to do the work authentically and to not change my path or be influenced by what's happening in that. Like I said, it's just more motivating for me to do the work. When I hear of teachers having their classroom libraries taken out of their rooms so that someone can go through and say which books are appropriate and which books are not, um, mm. that's diminishing to the professionalism of the teachers in the state. And it also is diminishing to both the parents and the leaders, because um, I think that as a parent, it's our responsibility to be able to have courageous conversations with our students, no matter what our beliefs are, that's our responsibility. Our school's responsibility is to educate in an open way. And so I just I mean, imagine if you went into school, Elijah, and there were no books that had boys in them because we were trying to neutralize the representation of boys. 
you would not feel at place. You would have a difficult time learning. You would feel like there was something wrong and begin to believe there's something wrong with you when that's not the case. It's wild that that happens today, hey? Yeah. It's kind of nuts that you think about it. And a lot of times you just kind of let it go, right? You, you put it in the back of your mind or it's distant memory, kind of like the, the tragedies that happen on the you know 6 p.m. news. It, it's just a thing of the past. But how does see things differently put that uh, element of diversity and the importance behind it in the forefront of people's minds? Um, so I think it's bringing the humanity of life into play. Um, when I look at helping people see things differently, I'm not trying to tell them that they need to have the same beliefs that I have. I'm just trying to help them have open perceptions and perspectives of the diversity in the world around them. Um, I, I really truly believe with all my heart that everyone has goodness. And I know from the 2020 teaser test research that I did that 90% of people believe that we can change the world for the better. I think what we're in disagreement on is what the better looks like. Right. And so being able to equip people to um, be able to stand on their beliefs with humanity, to be able to um, be opening and not judgmental um, and to be able to have their own agency in how they want to impact and um, and encompass this beautiful world that we've been given to live in. Noticed uh, on your website, you talked about normalization. Is that kind of what you're getting to where you, do people try to, I don't know, normalize the fact that, you know, this, this agenda that they have, not to be political, but that's kind of what they're doing to brainwash isn't the right word, but you're kind of trying to skew people's views, right? To make you think it's okay. Yeah. So, so with, within, I'm going to, I'm going to break down equity consciousness for you first, and then I'm going to break down the tendencies that are focused on. So with equity consciousness, there's like three different levels. It's um, unconscious competent, and then it's conscious comp incompetent, and then conscious competent. So it's, if you think about it this way, it's like when you are unconscious competent, you are literally walking through life with a sleep mask on, right? Totally blocking a lot that's on offer. And when you are conscious incompetent, you're kind of wearing sunglasses. It's like you see things, shades of it, but you just aren't totally connected to it or have taken any responsibility to it. And then when you think about being conscious competent, it's like you're wearing readers because you've been on the computer too much and you have to have that, that like acuity. Um, and, and so then when you look within those three frames, which are rooted by the way, in, um, Freud's work in 1915 in, um, work in, um, the neurosciences in 1948, it's not like anything brand new. And then you bring in these tendencies that we have when it comes to um, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. And, and that is uh, the deficit view. That is the diversity erasure, normalization, like you mentioned, and rationalization. And so when we look at things with normalization, it's like we want everyone to interact around us 
as to how we define normal. And the danger in that is that there is a lot that's missed. There's a lot that um, then stifles or marginalizes. I keep um, using that term because that's what happens is um, what people bring to the table isn't valued. And so, yeah, when we try to think that we want this picture of what normal is and nothing else is going to work in our society, that's a huge danger. Agreed. When we're in um, society, we talk about different elements of diversity, but then I see this trend, um, and and I'm sorry if I'm ignorant to this and I haven't noticed before, but I've seen a lot more. It, it's become eye-opening, D-E-I-B or D-E-B, the yes. acronym that has come up a whole lot, even on LinkedIn. A lot of people are using this on their, um, their titles or their um, names and things like that. Is this a recent uh, acronym that's really come to fruition or have I been kind of hiding under a rock? I think it's an acronym that um, as the conversations evolve and people become more aware and more educated, the acronym grows. So um, let me use an example from education with inclusion. Inclusion, you know, um, in the 70s, we said, okay, we're going to have inclusive schools. Everyone will um, deserve a, a public education. And so we were allowing everyone to go to school, but they couldn't physically access the schools if they had a wheelchair or if they um, read bra um, Braille, they couldn't read the content for their learning and so on and so on. So um, David Rose from um, CAST, um, the Universal Design for Learning, um, he so greatly reflected on the original conversations around inclusion and brought in the fact that when he was a teacher, he could finally like take his students to a museum for a field trip. They could physically get into the museum, but then the way that they were treated because of their differences, be it learning, be it race, be it socioeconomic class, um, really caught his attention. And he knew that there was still work to be done. So with that learning, inclusion, you know, um, began to gain more attention again. And so then with inclusion being there, we look at diversity, diversity of needs, diversity of learning styles, diversity of um, cultures. There's lots of different types of diversity. And so you can see where I'm going with this. It just, um, they all have an importance. And so it's really looking at how can we bring all of these things to the forefront to be better um, in how we learn and how we live. The Job Pod. Search The Job Pod wherever you love to listen to podcasts.